<laughs> it's not one of those jobs that's glamorous. If an actor runs through a river, I run through a river. And if an actor falls in a load of mud, I throw myself into a load of mud. I mean, it's the best way to do it. There are tricks to do those things, but I'm kind of known for my physicality, so I throw myself in them. And so I'm constantly covered in rubbish, basically. <laughs> now, kitchen cupboard. There's so many things you can get in the kitchen cupboard. If you were walking through the desert, now this was a Jack Foley trick, which I think is great. Monkey nuts? That's me. It's, and because the nuts inside nuts, hanging against other nuts, it's got a multi, multi thing like a rattlesnake, and you use those for rattlesnake, which is fairly exceptional. Uh, pasta, fantastic, fantastic thing. You can crush it up, put it on a surface, and walk on it, which will make it sound quite brittle. Or you can do it in the Oh no, it hurts! <laughs> And then you get pasta in your mouth and very dry. <laughs> the other great thing they used to do with pasta, and I would never do this now because you get trains. But they used to use this for a train, so you have a chuk 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 of a train. <laughs> Wouldn't get away with it now, obviously, on a multi million pound movie, but. This is one of my favourite things from the food cover. We worked on Everest um, a couple of years ago. And you must know this one, this is corn flour. Isn't it lovely sound with snow? Obviously in the studio I had hundreds of bags of this full of corn flour. And salt, which again is another kitchen cupboard thing, but lots of different types of salt. So you've got thick um, sea salt and industrial salt and dishwasher salt and Every, every different kind of salts you can get, we have a massive, great big pile. Because the thing about Everest, let's see that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Everest, it's the, it's the same thing. Everything in it sounds the same. I mean, everyone's wearing the same clothes, everyone's got the same mountaineering equipment on it, they're all walking on the same surfaces, they're all intense. It, it would have been a really boring film if we'd have made it real. So we had to kind of make it slightly hyper-real and more emotional. So we, we, we made different types of snow for different areas that they were in. So base camp, it was a little bit softer and kind of friendly and rocky. And then as they got on the glacier, it was harder and a bit slippier, so you felt a bit more uncomfortable as an, as an audience member, a bit more in danger. And the higher up the mountain they got, the harder the snow got. And we used like royal icing. So when you stand there, like plates of royal icing, so when you stand it, it kind of cracks really, really, really nicely. And, but you've still got the snow on top. So it just sounds really hard and, and painful. And then when the film really cops it and everyone, we, we changed it again to make it. And we weren't even really using salts by this point. We were more reacting, using things that reacted against the costumes and things to make it really painful sounding. And like... It, it, the director just wanted it to sound like nobody was getting off the mountain. And that was, his only, that was his only kind of instruction to us. So we just made it really hard. And we were using meringues and things like that. Because it, which is crazy, I know. It's saying, you have a big puffy meringue. The outside is really crispy and hard. And the inside is soft. So when they're, when they're kind of frozen and they're moving, and you crush a meringue, you get this. It's like a frozen skin 
sandwiches, old folk, and we used to cut sausages as well. And you bend them and they like snap. And, it's, and then you get this mush. Absolutely horrible. But still from the kitchen cupboard, which is great. Silver paper. We use this in, um, and you can use it for a couple of different things. Flame, um, for like a campfire type noise. They are like ticking, ticking sound. Or ice, when ice is beginning to melt and it's, it's kind of. Yeah, that kind of multi, multi sound. I can't really hear whether this has been amplified very well, but you can hear it. Okay, that's great. And again, so that's simple. Tweet, add to a campfire, which is great. Same kind of noise. So simple. Don't need a fire. You just do this, and then get that cloth to make the kind of sound of a flame over the top of it and you, you've pretty much got a campfire. I mean, obviously all of these sound effects need an image to go with them. You're looking at some middle-aged geezer <laughs> flapping around bits of food and things like that. And you might be going, this sounds rubbish. <laughs> this really doesn't sound very good. But you, if you had an image of a campfire on the screen and I was doing it, you wouldn't know it wasn't flames. It wouldn't. I'm going to come back to that one in a second because I've got another one here as well. The classic. Okay, this was the only thing from my vegetable demonstration that I could actually bring down because I used it in Cinderella. There you go. Not that any of you guys have seen Cinderella, I'm sure. But there is a moment in it. I mean, obviously, we use it for the most violent thing breaking necks, breaking legs, breaking arms adding to punches and things like that just to make it sound as though you've really hurt somebody. But in Cinderella, when... You've got a little six-year-old up here. In Cinderella, when, the fairy, when Cinderella gets on the couch and the fairy godmother's feeling all pleased with herself, she pricks her neck. This is what I used. <laughs> really old-fashioned. Most people would say, no, you don't use that. It's the perfect sound. Obviously, you've got the coach, you've got Cinderella, you've got music, you've got the fairy godmother's dress and her footsteps, so that really clear crunch sound is, is buried. And all you hear is a little of her neck, which is beautiful. But I love that too, it's a fantastic prop. And if you really want to go for it, I mean, it's a zombie movie, you can bite it, it's like her biting into your skull. But it's just celery, that's what celery sounds like. As soon as I said, bite into your skull, you visualise the skull being bitten into and the sound is absolutely perfect. It's the same with breaking a leg. <laughs> if you've got an action with it, it absolutely works. And that is the same with all of this stuff. This I used the other day. We were, I was doing a bridge. A kind of suspension bridge. And we wanted to make like a strain, you know that kind of straining, pinging wire sound? And this is tiny, this was a big suspension bridge. But that's the things that we can do now with the computer, they can make me sound 10 times bigger than I actually am. And I was just playing this. Can you hear the kind of springs? And they made it really bassy and really massive. So I did a whole bridge with a plug extender. <laughs> and that was today, I mean, that was last week, you know. So these things do really can still happen, which is, it just seemed a bit mad. And you know what, that is kind of it. I, I could have come up here with a truck load of sound effects, couldn't I? And, it, and it's so difficult when you're thinking about what you're going to show somebody, the kind of things that you do, because it's so random what I do. And it, I really react to whatever's on the screen. So I would never say that 
for a car, you would always use a hot water bottle. For a train, you use pasta. I mean, that did, uh, on Tarzan, we did think about doing this, actually, because there is a big old steam train that pulls into a station. It took me about 10 tracks to make this steam train happen. This was when you only had one track. You know what I mean? So I did suitcases in a trolley, and I was rattling them, and then I did metal things in a trolley, and I was rattling them, and then we did steam into metal boxes and things, and a squealing metal track to go with the wheels and things. And in the end, after 10 tracks, I can be a train, but I can't just be a train. So it's very difficult to actually show you really how we layer things up and how we, how we build things to make them. So I've got a couple of films that I can show you. The first one is, um, and I hope you haven't seen it yet, because it was released on Vimeo like two days ago, and it's just gone completely all over. You've seen it. It's called The Secret World of Foley. Um, a young filmmaker, a guy called Daniel Jewell, turned up at the theatre at the studio and said he wanted, he was so interested in Foley, and he was a filmmaker, but he wanted to make a film specifically about Foley. So we, I kind of went, well, go away and make a film, and then bring it back, and then you can film us doing the Foley, and then you can take that away, and you can, you can make your film. So, which is what he did. He came back, I was a little bit disappointed. I thought he was going to come back and I was going to get smash up and throw things around and you made it on the fisherman. You don't do that, but it is absolutely beautiful. And you really do get an idea of what the um, studio setting's like and the way we work. And for us, it was great for us because we were doing follow ourselves, which we never, ever get to do. Obviously, we are always doing somebody else. So that was quite a nice thing for us as well. But isn't it a lovely film? It's very gentle and... And there's no showy, nothing showy-offy about it or anything. I said, I wish you'd done a war film or something, so you could see them <laughs> smashing into walls and things like that. I just remembered, I'm gonna, we haven't really got very much time left for me to... I mean, it's, it's a bit boring. I got a job. I was a runner. I worked really hard. You know what I mean? <laughs> I ended up working in the final stage, and I was very determined from, from like the first year I started working I, I wanted to be a pilot student. That's what my ambition was. And that's what I worked towards. And I presume that you guys, if you want to be in the film industry, or you already are, that is kind of what you have to do. You have to know kind of what you want, but find a way of getting to it within the film industry. It's so hard within the industry to just kind of go, OK, I'll be a photo artist, and turn up and be a photo artist. Nobody will employ me. It takes years of practice to get all the bits together and the sync and things. And whatever job you're going to go for within the film industry, it's a kind of similar thing. You're expected to start at the bottom. And even if you've just done a degree and you're brilliant on Pro Tools and you're an excellent sound editor, you're probably going to start at the bottom of the team and work your way up. So to have clarity before you join an industry is a really, really useful thing to do. Think about what avenues you can go down to get to your ultimate goal. I had to kill a lot of folly artists. <laughs> I had to burn down a couple of studios that weren't using me. So, and then I finally got what I wanted. But it took me 20 years to, to get where I wanted to be. And it can take that long within the industry. You've really got to work at it. And you've got to stick to it. That's my advice and that's all I can do. So for the last few minutes, hopefully... You've got some questions for me, and I could be more specific about funds that I've worked on, or I could. Uh, what was the maddest thing you had to do to create a sound effect? 
I mean, so many things are mad to be down to do. I mean, doing this with lobsters is pretty mad. You know? I mean, everything I do is pretty mad. I mean, I'm following so much more about sound design now as well. So, you know, I might be being a monster on the screen, but the only thing I'm doing is smearing yogurt on the floor. Slimy <laughs> sound. You know, I mean, I have to say, anything to do with people can be a bit like gross kissing and all of that kind of thing. Sex things are a bit embarrassing. <laughs> but then, I mean, it's not, it's nothing unusual, do you know what I mean? You slap your belly and you do a bit of kissing and, and you squeak a bed and you've got that all the problem. <laughs> <laughs> And I relate to films in a very emotional way, physical way. So if you're asking me what, you know, things that stick in my mind, um, upsetting things when I did Band of Brothers, which actually Band of Brothers for me, if you want to ask me about my career in that way, was the thing that, the program that changed my career. I had been a normal jobbing Foley artist up until, from about 1990 until about 2000, working on television programs, and I'd worked in a couple of features, but not very much. And then I got approached by HBO to do Band of Brothers. And it took nine months to make a program. Everything had to be absolutely authentic. There was no tricks. There was none of this done. We had the we had uniforms, we had the proper guns. We had all the equipment that they had that was authentic. And I became completely emotionally attached to the story and to the characters. And it taught me also how to be characterful. Rather than just making footstep noises, which is what I had been previously. And with television, you've got very little time. So you kind of, somebody walks across the room, you walk across the room, you just make footstep noises. But with Band of Brothers, they would turn to me and say, no, but you're, you're not him, are you? you, know, you're, you're, I don't believe that you're him. And so I had to learn to, to act, really, to be a character within my following. And in doing so, and particularly on Band of Brothers, some characters that I was doing that I'd fallen in love with died. And that was quite hard to do as well. There was one, to, uh, to carry on with my, my point, there was one character that I'd, been play I'd played for like eight months. He'd got almost through to the end of the war. He was a really big character. And he gets shot in the neck. And he's like on the floor and nobody can get to him. And for five minutes, he's kind of just drowning on his blood. And I had to, I had to do that sound effect. I love this guy. And so So that was that was quite upsetting. I did um, on the upsetting thing. I did. Um, is it called Miss You Already? Yeah, Miss You Already, the Catherine Hardwick film from last year with Drew Barrymore and Tony Collette. Howard, all the way through. It was so embarrassing. I was so connected to the character. But I, by the end of it, I was so upset that she was dying. <laughs> I couldn't contain myself. I had to shut the session down. <laughs> I was so upset. And again, on things like Harry Potter, what an amazing experience for me. Ten years, eight movies. The learning curve was phenomenal because from the first... I, I didn't do the very first film. I started on the second film. We, we were doing sound effects for a children's film basically, because that's what it was. And as the, the children got older and the films got more adult, we changed the sound effects. So although I wore the same shoes for Harry, right from when he was small to right up to here, his wand, for instance, when he was 11, kind of went, but when he was 16, it went, whoa! <laughs> it hurt a lot 
And again, with the, um, with the upset, I've been Harry Potter for 10 years. I've watched this actor grow. I've been through absolutely everything with it. But unfortunately, I was also a Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> the last film, <laughs> when Voldemort beat the Jaders out of Harry up on the platforms, I beat up this kid that I've very... I mean, he'd been to my house, I've got his autograph, and I'm like, punch it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to die, Harry It was like, that was quite emotional. But then, I mean, it's, it's such a hard question. Because anything is can be embarrassing, you know. Just the fact the way I work is embarrassing. I don't see myself, but generally I'm kind of running about <laughs> trying to make noise, you know. So I look stupid practically the whole time. That's really embarrassing. Like I said, normally I've probably got a bit of pancake in my hair or a bit of goo hanging off my ear or something like that. So there's just so many. Every film has a moment where I kind of go, you want me to do what? <laughs> I don't want to do that. But okay, he's doing it, so I'll do it too. It's, it's probably the answer to that. But I love it all anyway. So nothing is, is like too weird for me. Because <laughs> I've been doing it for so long. Everything's kind of weird. I use monkey nuts as a rat snake. I mean, that's weird. <laughs> that's it. Yes. Do you feel like Foley will ever be obsolete due to like microphones improving? No, they're not. Database? No, no. I mean, there are certain aspects of the soundtrack now that, that sound design will take care of, whereas before it, it was Foley. But you can imagine, if, if any of you have done any editing, how long it would take you to edit a film's worth of footsteps. In character, <laughs> in the right shoes, every single footstep, individually laid, I can do it real time, in the same shoes as the actor, in character. Why would you want to spend six months creating that footstep track when you can employ me for a day? <laughs> so, you know, in that way, no, computers want Computers could never take away the organicness of me. You know, I can be a person being a person. A Even a really, really brilliant editor can't. He hasn't got stuff in his library. Your library would be massive, and you would have to spend so much time finding those very specific little nuances and, and things that I can add to a character for you to... Otherwise, it would be very flat. Everything would sound very ordinary. Like I said, it would be like old TV filming. You could lay, as an editor, a set of footsteps going across the room from, from loads of different places, but they wouldn't have been made specifically for that character. And if you're going to spend £250 million on a film, you want the character. And so, no, I don't think, I don't think it will ever be obsolete. And the more, the more technology improves, the better microphone you get. It just means that I can do more. It means that now I can't be a real fire because well, I've got a great big studio with a massive purge fan. So instead of doing tricks <laughs> and a fluttering bit of silk or cloth, I build a fire in the studio and we're called to fire. But it's still foaming, but it's the same design of sound. So do you see what I mean? It's the, the more, and the microphones I can put right next to them. In fact, I think I posted something on Twitter. I've got a bit of wire wool that I've covered in paraffin. And it was supposed to be a little kind of crackle. I'm <laughs> here with the microphone and it broke down and went whoosh, like it was a massive flame. And it was a sanker microphone. It cost about five and a half thousand pounds each. But they're really robust, you know, so it's a wild. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, no, I mean, 
fortunately for me. I mean, they can edit anyway, so if they did, I'd just turn into an editor. But no, but no I, I don't think so. It's all about... And, and I don't think actors would want it either. You know, they, Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, they love the fact that somebody is in the studio saying, yeah, I've just run all day for you. You know, I've just smashed myself into a wall, my knuckles are bruised. They love the fact that that's happening in their films, that somebody is creating that type of sound effect for them. So I don't think it'll ever go there. No. Um, was fully always what you wanted to do? Do you know? I had I had absolutely no idea coming into the um, into the sound industry what Foley was, or even how they made a television program or a film. I had zero idea. I come from Rochdale, which is a small mill town in the northwest of England. I, I moved to London kind of accidentally, really. I was unemployed for six months. I was in a job centre. I saw a posting for a runner, assistant, for a dubbing theatre, and I thought, no idea what it is, but it's like you know, TV, they do TV programmes, so I thought, oh, great, I can be a TV person, which is fantastic, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> and in the interview with the woman, she, she set me up, she kind of went, well, you've got a very nice voice, you've got a nice speaking voice, so I went, you are that, I really think I should go for this TV thing then, don't you? <laughs> so I went, well, of course it was for a runner. <laughs> But I'd never experienced anything like it. I walked into this dubbing theatre and they had two rooms. They had a photo room and they had a, a mix room. And I was the mixer's assistant. Within about six months, I knew that I was never going to be a mixer's assistant because I just kind of... I looked at the desk and it all just swirls. In front of me. And I know each track does exactly the same thing, but my, my pea brain couldn't get my head around that. It was just like too many buttons and I couldn't deal with it. And so I kind of very quickly moved over to recording the Foley. And, in, and I did that for about two years. So in that, I was watching Foley artists, working all the time, seeing how they put things together. And in my downtime, I started practicing. Because it, what they were doing was having a fantastic day and great fun. And what I was doing, generally, was stressing over technology and over not being able to do things quickly enough. And, da, 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 da. and I... I and so I started practicing following, and the guys that were recording them recording with me were saying, actually, your sync is really good. You've got a very natural kind of flair to it, but mind you, I've been recording it for two years. So of course I was going to be reasonably all right with it, but I, as soon as I got my first footstep down, really, I kind of went, okay, this is what I have to do now for the rest of my life. And, and also I have to, here I am in Barnes in London in a little TV studio, and I've got this far to go before I get to where I want to be, which is planned and working on the biggest movies that we do over here. And so I kind of did always know I wanted to be a Foley artist once I discovered Foley, but before that, I didn't know what Foley was. I'd never heard of it. And I was blown away, absolutely like, what? People rattle monkey nuts at me? I mean, hey, that's insane, you know? <laughs> Wow, great job. So, if that answers your question. Yeah, I was um, wondering if you've ever watched a film that you yourself have done this fully for, or somebody else, and have just cringed at it, or embarrassed, or you feel, oh, I wish that could be done better. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I do that all the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, particularly on films that I haven't watched, on, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but for me, what's the point in seeing a film that I haven't watched? Yeah. <laughs> 
So, <laughs> but and I, and I, actually, I've never seen a film finished that I've watched. No, I mean, I, I, I maybe actually that's not true. A couple I have because I, I'd go to the casting crew, but generally I would never seek out the film. I just spent a month. Uh, I know this film inside out. There is nothing in the final mix that is going to surprise me or change this film. Do you know what I mean? I've, I've been in contact with the director, I've been in contact with the sound designers, I've been every character in the film. There's nothing about it happening. <laughs> so even though I haven't heard it finished, because obviously all I hear of it is the dialogue, a little bit of music, and my track. I don't hear the sound design, I don't hear what other people do, edits, and I don't hear all the other stuff. But by the time you've worked on it, and you've done it, and it's six months, you know, or a year after you've done that, and it's being released, I'm already on another film. <laughs> my head's already full of other sound effects and, and other people to be. So I very rarely... I mean, I do. I mean, I, and if I'm on, if I watch on the television and something comes on and I can hear the phone, I'll turn it off. Because it's so distracting to me. That I, just because I can hear it. But that's not because it's necessarily bad phone. It's probably a bad mix. And that's the other thing with phone. I'm not responsible for the soundtrack. I'm responsible for, you know, one small part of it. They don't always use everything that I give them. They, you know, some films it's 90% of what I do, and some films it's only 10% of what I do that they might use because it's a heavily sound design film, or it just doesn't need it. It's heavy music. And a lot of big American movies these days, the dialogue and music are king, and everything else will be just pushed to one side or lowered in the faders because they're so worried that people aren't going to understand the dialogue or, you know, they've paid £4 million pounds to somebody to write a piece of music. They want people to hear it. And so... Yeah, no. I, <laughs> <laughs> I hate people. <laughs> yeah. um, in Band of Brothers, you said it was very authentic. Yes. Um, did you still record in the studio, or did they make you do it outside? No, 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 we recorded in the studio. But we, um, like I said, it's a big studio. And so I've, instead of having... I mean, this, like the Foley film, we were so restricted in the Foley film because, because we were filming. And so we couldn't make a great big beach. If this was a a £200 million movie we were making, part of my room would be just beach. And I could walk 10 feet in one direction or, you know, or in another direction. And the same with Band of Brothers. We made when we were running across the field. We got in lawn, and I, all my concrete surfaces I covered in earth, and then I lawned so that I had space to run. Because that, that was the other thing. The sound of them had to be authentic too. It wasn't just the props they were using or... You know, the things they came into contact with, they had to sound scared. They had to sound like they were running for their lives. And everything we did on Bally Brothers was okayed or not okayed by Easy Company, by the men that the program was made by. And so they had the final okay, yes or no, on what happened. And there were so many things when we did do, like a field telephone. There were, there were only two of these field telephones left in the world. One of them was in Cornwall and the other one was in a museum in America. And, and so I did it with like an old melamine telephone and a canvas bag and da, 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 and it went off and it came straight up. And one of the soldiers, the guy that carried the field telephone, he went, no, it didn't sound like that. So, no. I mean, that sounds great, what you did, but that isn't what this field telephone sounded like. It had a very specific ding, 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 ding on, the, on the dial. So we had to then go to Cornwall, and I don't know how much it cost them, 
to hire this very specific <laughs> telephone. <laughs> right, the guy in Carmel probably meant, Band of Brothers, HBO, want to hire my field telephone, and there are no others in the world. Here's <laughs> <laughs> your invoice, you know. So that's how, that's how it was. And for, like I said, for me as a folio artist, to go from standing like this in a, in a little surface to actually running at full pelt and smashing into the ground in full kit. I mean, I was 20 years younger back then as well, so I was much more capable of it. But the sound, it's immense. It's, I can do the same sound by running on the spot and by slamming bags on me. In fact, I've got that leather here. And we add, we had, add, we do, we add sounds to body falls. So that would make a bassy body fall sound a bit trackier and it, it's a bit more painful. So you can go like that. And it's, it makes it a lot more painful. And we also do a thing called power moves with leather. So do you know in the silly punch-up thing, you go bash, 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 bash. We add that to the punch-up. And it just gives a, a really painful clack underneath what would normal. Because if you hit somebody, you don't make very much noise. It just doesn't. It's got like a noise. <laughs> so you have to add a bit of drama to it. There was a moment in Harry Potter, actually. Do you know, um, don't know which one it is. Dumbledore and Harry go into this house that's been completely ransacked and he, he does a spell and this piano kind of goes back together and it's been crushed and all kind of backwards and zooms back together. And so we came up with the idea, wouldn't it be great? Let's get a piano, winch it like 40 feet in the air in one of those shooting stages, drop it, have it explode all over the place and then play that backwards for the, for the, for the scene. So we got a piano, winched it all the way up, dropped it, it sounded like that. <laughs> there was no musical element to it. It was like a big wooden box, just going. <laughs> it was so flat. I had to go and get a sledgehammer and an axe in there to actually make the noise that we wanted. So even even sometimes when you think you're going to get a fantastic sound, real things are so disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and it's the film industry, remember? I mean, Band of Brothers was completely authentic. But the film industry, we're trying to, it's a lie. The whole thing is a massive lie. You know, the film isn't real, the actors aren't real. Why do people expect the same to be real? <laughs> do you know what I mean? So, yeah. yeah. Yes. Out of all the stuff that you've worked on, what was the sort of hardest to do in the film? Um, nothing's hard for me, I have to say. I mean, like I said, I'm quite an emotional guy. So, the really sad films are quite hard for me to work on, which is because I the whole place. But and physically, a war film can be quite hard because it's very demanding, and I'm 55 now. And I've just done Brad Pitt's new war movie, and I'm running about quite a lot, I have to say. So, it can be exhausting. But, this, I mean, there are no hard sound effects anymore. Because the other thing about technology is, if I can't make the sound, I've got a technician that can make the sound I'm making into the sound that I want. So there's never any pressure with what I do. It's an absolute joy all the time. I think that's probably it. Oh, I'm so sorry that we've got to go now, but thank you for listening to it.